If you love scratches from the Virginia Lottery, you'll love the high roller blackjack scratcher with a chance to win up to 10 times your prize. Look for it at your favorite Virginia Lottery retailer. In fact, you can drive there right now. Now that's an everyday win. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 4.16. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. That music underscoring me is that of Sam Brandt. Boy Blue Tunes, Neon Bloom is the new hit that you hear. You can check it out wherever you get your music, Spotify, Apple, etc. It's going to be a Brands Rants edition of the Business of Sports. And I haven't done this for a while. I had a lot of great guests. I hope you enjoyed Thomas Dimitrov last week. So many good guests lately. I haven't had time to sit down and sort of give you a digestion of what's going on. And no better day to do it than today. It is Tuesday, November 3rd. It is Election Day. It is late at, well, it's early evening. We don't know any kind of results yet. I'll give my thoughts on that, kind of a final rant, getting a little political as someone who's apolitical. Uh, and then I, I, I want to talk about the trade deadline that has now passed, and I want to respond to sort of the Bill Belichick basically coming out and doubling down and even saying that uh, the Patriots went for it, they didn't get it, they, you know, they're in cap purgatory and they can't do much this year. So I'll respond to that as someone who's managed to cap and sort of has frankly admired the Patriots for so long. Uh, we'll talk about that. So all that here on the business of sports, a Brant's Rants edition on this election night, Tuesday, November 3rd. Let's start with the trade deadline. Last year was an aberration. I'm not sure why. We saw a lot of trades with people, players that you know, whether it was Leonard Williams, whether it was uh, Marcus Peters, whether it was uh, Jalen Ramsey. Of course, those were situations where he was sort of engaged in a hold-in in Jacksonville and as an elite player forced his way out. But this year's back to the trade deadline the way it always happens, which is nothing. Basically, you yeah, we had the unique Nguakwe trade. We have a couple trades for low-round picks, but that basically is what it is. You have trades for low-round picks of players that have fallen out of favor with their teams, where their teams are like, let's just get something for them, and it ends up being a conditional fifth or sixth or seventh and giving back a fifth or whatever it is. They're very limited compensation, even some what I call ham sandwich trades, where it's just a player being moved almost for the sake of being moved where a team can say, hey, he wasn't going to get any time here, and we got him out of here, and the team that acquires him and say, hey, we only give up a sixth or seventh round pick. There was not much this year. Again, there were a couple of those kind of trades. DeAndre Washington, the running back from Kansas City to Miami. Miami gets a, a, trades a receiver to New England. Um, and then we saw, of course, Ngakwe, as I talked about, Avery Williamson going – from the Jets to the Steelers for low round compensation. That's kind of it. So let's get into why trades don't happen on a general sense. I know we've had some outlier years like last year. And then, of course, look at the team that everyone's asking me about, the Packers, and their failed negotiations to acquire receivers, specifically Will Fuller of the Texans. First, generally, trades are not a big thing in football for a few reasons. One, the deadline used to be mid-October, They've moved it back to the end of October, early November. Maybe that was supposed to help. Maybe it did help, but not really. Basically because football is schematic. You know, football is 3-4, 4-3, cover two, West Coast offense, vertical offense, stretch offense, motion offense. 
it's not about acquiring good players. It's acquiring good players that fit into a system. We talk about free agency not working out more often than not because of that reason. Now it's all exacerbated if you're doing it midstream, midseason. So the schematic nature of football doesn't lend itself well to midseason trades. It's not like seamless sports, more seamless, I shouldn't say seamless, more seamless sports like basketball, like baseball. Baseball, you hit, you pitch, you catch. You can pretty much do that anywhere in any team. Now, I know baseball people get upset. There's a lot of nuance between team to team, but come on. Basketball, you're a rebounder, you're a three-point shooter, you're a point guard that distributes. Come on. I know there's differences in schemes, but it's not like football. So that's a main reason why football trades don't happen as much. These people are smart. They know. They're not going to acquire someone midstream. The other reason is football's a big draft sport, you know, and if you acquire a veteran player at trade time, you are by necessity pushing down one of your draft picks, one, someone you're developing, someone that you think's got a chance, some young player your scout or scouts have liked to really move up on the roster. And I'll talk about that specifically with the Packers. So that's one thing about the trade deadline that makes it hard in football, no matter when it was moved back. And again, when I was with Ron Wolf at the Packers, we had ideas about the trading cap room, trading cash. The NFL doesn't make it easy. The NFL doesn't really care about the buzz that it does not get compared to basketball and baseball at the trade deadline. If they did, they would allow this sort of movement with trading cap or trading cash. And their feeling was always, hey, you make your bed, you sleep in it. They don't want these rent-a-player deals that you see in baseball sometimes. They just don't. And that's part of it too. Teams don't want to rent players. But I'll get back to that again with the Packers example. The other issue this year, more than any, any year in history, of course, is COVID. We're facing, which I'm going to talk about a lot in January and February, but we can start to talk about it now. We're going to have a diminution of cap room for 2021 compared to 2020. We know by the mini CBA that was negotiated before the season that it won't go below 175, 175 million. Well, the cap is basically 200 million now. So it could go down a million, it could go down 10, it could go down 20, it could go down $25 million. And you have teams right now that are committed to 220, 250, 275 in committed contracts. Now, before you shake your head on that, realize this is football. This is not basketball or baseball where contracts are guaranteed. So teams can move, they can get rid of the fat easily in football compared to these other sports, but still. Teams had not gone into, say, 2019 and 20, at least March, thinking that there would be a problem in 2021. So you have a lot of committed contracts. And then, of course, you look at a team like Dallas, which is a dumpster fire, that will probably have to franchise Prescott at $38 million on a $180 million cap with all the other issues they have. That's going to be a problem. But that factors in here today, the trade deadline. Two ways. One, you don't want to acquire a big number for 2021 because you know you're going to be cutting, not adding. Two, the value of draft picks becomes even more magnified because not only do they give you young players, but they give you young players that are cheap and cap friendly for four years at least. So the more you can get cap contract control 
over these players, the better. And that's what draft picks do. So this all segues to the biggest negotiation, at least reported, about a trade that did not happen. And that's the Packers and the Texans for Will Fuller. We don't know what the Texans were were requiring in terms of trade compensation. We heard about a second-round pick. I thought they were never going to get that. Maybe the Packers were offering a fourth. Maybe they were talking whether they'd compromise on a third. But to me, the bigger negotiation in that trade negotiation was not about draft choice compensation. It was about the contract. Will Fuller's going to be a free agent. And once you know that, then you can sort of parse out and figure out why the trade didn't happen. My sense is, having sat in that chair at the Packers and having been and are an agent, you're looking at, okay, what's going to happen here? Because if you're the Packers, you'll give up a seventh or a sixth for eight games of a player, but you're not going to give up a realistic draft pick for a player you're only going to have for eight games. Then you want a contract. So can you give a number two for Will Fuller? Sure, if you get a five-year deal. But then it becomes, okay, what's the number? Well, you know, receivers are getting $20 million a year. Amari Cooper, Keenan Allen, that's the new market. Uh, you know, these are the Mike Evans, these guys are making 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 million dollars. Mike Thomas. Okay, so this is what's out there. Are the Packers going to pay Will Fuller that kind of number? No. <laughs> are the Packers going to pay for a number that Will Fuller will take? Evidently not. I just feel like that was a tough one. This isn't fantasy football. These trades are complicated, especially for players without contracts. Now, if the Packers made a deal without a contract, fine, but I hope it would be a low-round pick, and then they're dealing with trying to sign him again next year. He probably goes out to free agency because the Packers got a great deal on Devontae Adams, who's a superior player to Fuller and already in the program. They're not going to pay him more than Adams. So you see what the issues were in the Will Fuller trade. Now, I'm hearing from all of Packer Nation yeah, but, you know, the Packers never do anything. And they let Aaron Rodgers out there with no big-time receivers. They always do this. And, of course, going to the draft where they picked a backup running back, a backup tight end, and, and a quarterback in the first three picks. This is all coming out at the Packers. I get it. I get the frustration. But that frustration about the draft this year is separate. The real frustration is, oh, my God. What are we going to do about Will Fuller? Now, you could argue Houston's got a ton of receivers, and they're going downhill. Could they have made Randall Cobb available to come back to Green Bay? Or Brandon Cooks, who always seems to get traded? Or Kenny Stills? What about one of those receivers? Now, you can make that argument. And I'm sure the Packers probably wanted Fuller. But Fuller comes with complications. So, nothing happens at the trade deadline. A lot of reasons, schematic nature of football, the COVID cap, the diminution in cap in 2021, the value of draft picks even better, and of course, trying to do contracts at the time of this in facing the uncertain financial future ahead. So that is the trade deadline discussion. A lot of smoke, very little fire, and it's what usually happens. I know there have been some outlier years like last year. But that is what usually happens. The trade deadline is on brand for the NFL that doesn't seem to want the buzz of the other leagues. So there we are. 
Back to Brant's rants in a minute. First, a word from our sponsor, America's top-rated sportsbook app. It's DraftKings Sportsbook. And this weekend, there's plenty of action, so get on in. Head to the app now. Start making it rain. DraftKings offers great odds boosts every Sunday to make it rain. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure. Make it easier for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code ROSS, all caps, R-O-S-S. Get this can't-miss offer. DraftKings Sportsbook is insuring your Sunday bets up to $100. That's right. You bet they cover up to $100 when you use promo code ROSS during sign-up. For a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Risk-free coverage paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Now back to Brant's rants. This one's about the Bill Belichick and the Patriots. You know, a lot of, a lot of reports coming out of New England over the past few days because Bill Belichick said, hey... You know, we're stifled this year in sort of explaining the two and five that, you know, they sort of went all in or however he phrased it. And now they're they're really cap strapped and all this stuff. And my immediate response was the cap strapped. Now, listen, <laughs> how is this team cap strapped? They're a notorious underspender. So not only do they get Brady to take less, they seem to get a lot of players to take less. Now, I know they've stepped out on a contract like Stephon Gilmore and they've paid tight ends like Gronk in the past, but come on. They pay the receivers nothing. They pay their uh, uh, running backs nothing. This is a team that always is in the lower spending quartile of the league, or lower spending half at least, and I think there's data out there done by others that say from 2000 to 2016, they're way down in terms of league spending on players. And don't get me started about the minimum spending requirements that are there for spending on players that are deficient in the CBA. That's another story. But it's hard to say as a leader of a team that the cap is biting us when they've been notorious underspenders all this year. I don't, all these years, I don't get that. Now, let's say a couple things. One, we talk about Brady taking less. Brady also in taking less, not only helped out their cash, which only serves ownership, but he helped out their cap. And in helping out their cap, he created cap room and therefore there has to pay the piper at some point. And that point is now Brady is counting 13.5 on their cap, 13.5 million when all their other quarterbacks count a million dollars. So a million dollars each, like Newton and Stidham and Hoyer, all around a million dollars. So you got three million for the active quarterbacks. You got thirteen five for Brady. That's a problem. They're starting with less than a full deck. Now the other thing about the Patriots is he, Belichick's making this point about look, we had to pay Cam Newton a million dollars. Well, yeah, they had to pay Cam Newton a million dollars because Cam Newton had no market for anything more than a million dollars. I mean, Cam Newton was on the market for four months without an offer. What do you think he's going to make? And it almost sounds like they got this player to take so much less to come to Green Bay. Come on. Cam Newton had no market. So I don't know what they're going to do, but this seems odd for Belichick because Belichick has always seemed to be the guy like, you give us the obstacles, we'll overcome them. You take away Brady, we'll overcome it. You take away this, we'll overcome it. And kudos to the Patriots in a league that's designed for competitive balance, the cap, free agency restraints, and of course, the uh, 
the cap, free agency restraints, and of course the draft in inverse order, the Patriots have had sustained success through all this. But the natural effect is, well, how much of the sustained success is from the incredible play of Tom Brady over the years? And it seems to be weighing that way this year. Now, that's simplistic. I get it. That's an easy narrative to, to hang on to. But something's going on, and I don't get, you know, Bill Belichick is not an excuse guy. That's why this seems so out of character that he said that. But of course he did. He did. And that just has me shaking my head why I'm doing a rant on this, because I don't get it with Belichick. He is, he is the ultimate executive in the NFL. I have talked many times about coach general manager paradigm doesn't work, and Bill O'Brien just found that out, the deposed general manager coach in Houston. And here's Belichick, who's done it masterfully, coach and GM, and now it's not working, two and five, in a division that's not that good in the AFC East. And, you know, it's got this sort of excuse making. Now I don't, you know, of course they had a lot of opt outs this year. They didn't expect that. That should be a 30 for 30 in itself. Why the Patriots more than any other team had all these opt outs, but they did. And now Edelman's hurt. I get it. I get it. But you know, this is a team that invested great resources in receiver number one pick last year, number two pick last year, trading for Sanu. Eight, nine million for Antonio Brown that they're eating, and it hasn't worked. You know, so you look at free agency as the price you pay for not drafting well, and if they're going to have to do something. Now, you can judge the Patriots over a two year span rather than a one after Brady and see what happens. Maybe they're, they're laying in the weeds for all the casualties that are going to come out next year in preparation for this ridiculously low cap. Uh, not ridiculously low, but in preparation for what's going to happen in terms of uh, people being released on the streets. February and March, there's going to be a ton of bloodletting, and that's going to be something for Belichick to take advantage of if he can. So we'll see that. But my rant is really, what is Belichick talking about? He's always been one to overcome excuses. They've had sustained success in this league designed to work against sustained success, yet here we are. Okay. Uh, you know, I can't not talk about politics, I guess, on election night. And I realize it's always going to be uh, risky to talk about politics. I'm really not really going to do that. Listen, I'm born and bred in Washington, D.C. and have zero family members, immediate or extended, that have roles in government. So I am as apolitical as anyone you know. I totally am. I grew up in Washington and knew nothing about politics and still don't. I have no informed opinion on this. The only thing I will say about what could happen tonight or tomorrow, however long it takes, is I just hope for calm. And I'm not talking about calm in the streets. I want calm in our, in our public leader. You know, People say Joe Biden is boring. I'm like, yes, yes. I don't have an opinion on Joe Biden. I just don't. I think what we need is boring. We need calm. We need peace. We need non-triggering events. Now, I get our current president has been manna from heaven for media. He lights up cable news. He lights up newspapers. People pay attention, including me. 
When I see him at rallies, I hit that click on Twitter. I don't watch cable news, but I'll watch him, and I won't watch others. But that's not what we want, really. We don't want the roller coaster of emotions from a leader. Leaders are there to calm. To and listen, again, this is not a political commentary. This is an emotional commentary. We're in this highly emotional up and down time in our lives in the history of the world it would be nice to just have someone boring <laughs> you know that just does the job um so i guess you know we don't know what's going to happen i'm sitting here in what they call a swing state uh i'm in suburban philadelphia in pennsylvania you know you never know what's going to happen i just hope for calm you know, I hope that if we have a democratic president, we have calm, we have dignity, we have character, we have control over other parts of the party, uh, you know, and we get back to kind of a semblance of normalcy. And I do hope if we have the same president, now that he would be sort of secure and not in campaign mode and not lashing out all the time, that he becomes less of that kind of person. Now, maybe that's hopeless, uh, but, you know, maybe the hope is for a second term, he becomes more calm. It becomes more governing rather than triggering. That's my only hope. Listen, I get it. You know, politics is divisive. I, you know, I try to be in all the things I do, on the business of sports, on the business of business, and all my commentary and all my teaching. I thought to look at both sides. I'm a lawyer. I'm trained to do that. I look at both sides of the issue and see where it is. But my continuing hope, and it sounds trite, but is peace. Not peace with warring nations, not peace overseas, not peace uh, in the global sense, but just a, a calm over this country where where we go back to politics as this kind of, you know, for wonky people, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, maybe it again, it's wishful thinking. Uh, that's my, my opinion there. Okay. hope you enjoyed this branch rants edition of the business of sports, a couple notes on the business of football a note on the business of politics. Uh, thanks for indulging me on that. Thanks to my producer, Brian Neal. Extraordinary producer, my musical producer, Sam Brandt, what you hear, and Neon Bloom, the new hit, out now, wherever you find your music. And of course, I'll be sending out a newsletter too. You can sign up for that. Look to my Twitter, starting a newsletter, and Patreon as well, Andrew Brandt at Patreon. And of course, follow me on Twitter, at Andrew Brandt. And any podcast rankings, comments, always appreciated. And I'll be back next week with another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brand. If you love scratches from the Virginia Lottery, you'll love the high roller blackjack scratcher with a chance to win up to 10 times your prize. Look for it at your favorite Virginia Lottery retailer. In fact, you can drive there right now. Now that's an everyday win. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 4.16.